Well, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles today to Ephesians chapter 5. And we would say if you don't have a Bible uh, with you today, you can certainly use the one in the pew rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at all, um, we'd invite you to take that uh, as your own, as a gift from us to you to uh, certainly use uh, beyond this time. And as BJ's already welcomed you, um, if you're newer with us, uh, my name is Brian, uh, and I have uh, also the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And so last week we started a series entitled Mr. and Mrs. Better Half, uh, looking at how we can be the best, better half we can be uh, in our marriage relationships uh, or even other relationships outside of marriage. And um, as we do that, uh, if you want to, say, um, be a part of helping marriages be better uh, outside of just a three-week sermon series, well, then we would encourage you to sign up for Marriage Mentor Training. Uh, that takes place um, not tomorrow and Tuesday, but the following Monday and Tuesday here on the 31st of March and the 1st of April. And uh, some of the questions I've gotten about this uh, are along the lines of uh, what are the expectations, like say I sign up for this, of a marriage mentor couple. And so um, should you go through the training and then become uh, marriage mentors, the commitment uh, of the mentoring couple is that you would meet with uh, another couple for the course of six weeks uh, with that ending point being very intentional and that the goal of the marriage mentoring process uh, is not to um, become codependent uh, upon you for forever, but to, in that six weeks, to help them uh, acquire some, some skills and some kind of strategies to communicate themselves and work through issues on their own. And so that six weeks is uh, very intentional. And then from there, uh, the uh, request is that you would mentor at least one couple in a calendar year. And then you could certainly take on more couples if that if you had the margin in your life to do that, or as maybe as need in the church dictates. And so uh, if you want to be a part of that, you can sign up for that in the insert that's in your bulletin or uh, online as well. And then also, just an aside, we just, uh, I found out this past week that uh, Dare to be Different, who's leading our marriage mentoring, and um, the company Love and Respect, who uh, is kind of a household name around here, have actually officially partnered uh, Love and Respect and Dare to be Different. So that's kind of cool, and a little bit of a kudos and a plug to kind of uh, get what they're about based on our experience around here with the Love and Respect material. And so um, with that, uh, let's go ahead and get to work, because we've got plenty to cover as we continue our series on marriage. And you might say, fair enough, series on marriage, but uh, in fairness, some of you might say, not so fair, because you're currently uh, not married. Maybe uh, you've never been married, or maybe through the loss of a marriage, either through the death of a spouse or uh, even the uh, difficult pain of divorce. And so um, you might be, as you're here today, you might be thinking, man, if I just get a coughing fit and maybe just kind of excuse myself. Uh, well, before you do that, let me encourage you why, uh, as we did last week, why this series is still for you, even if not married here today. Um, a, um, you might hope to be married one day. And so this could be helpful for you in that. Uh, B, even if you're not married, uh, recognize that we are still created by God to be in relationship together, to be in community, to live in community. And so where scripture speaks to the marriage relationship, what you're gonna see are there are transferable principles to all of life's relationships. And then see, most importantly, uh, that we here as a church, we are family. And when one in the family has a burden, well, that means we all have a burden. We wanna share in that burden together, as it says in Galatians chapter two. And so together we recognize the burdensome state of marriage uh, in our country, and very specifically right down to some marriages here in even our own congregation. And so what we wanna do today is get very, very practical and, and helpful as to what the scriptures say as to how we can become, each of us, the best, better half 
that we can be in our marriage or we could say in any of your life's relationships. And so the first practical step that you can take in your marriage, um, and, and I'll put it this way. Has there ever been like a course that you wanted to take back in high school or college that you're really excited you were signing up for uh, only to see in the fine print? Prerequisite course required. And you're like, oh man, you really want to take this course, but you had to take this other one. And so um, that illustrates that while every message that we ever preach here on a a weekend uh, can stand alone, and today included, we would say, uh, however, that we would strongly recommend that as you look to fully maybe implore the practicalities of this week, um, that that's going to stand on the foundation of that which we covered in week one. And so you're going to get plenty out of today, uh, but we would encourage you as a, not required, but a recommended prerequisite, we could say, um, to take a look at last week's message, which you can do online um, in video or audio or iTunes if you're familiar with that. Um, but with that, here's just the Cliff's Notes version as we still got to kind of stand on last week in order to move forward. And again, if you were here last week, that's okay. If you're like me, repetition is good and so it bears reminding. The first and the most practical thing that you can do for your marriage relationship, we said, is to first actually focus on your relationship with the Lord. Because Because before we can look at any practical steps that we might take toward our relationship with our spouses that comes out of scripture, is we must first recognize, A, that the strength and the power for those steps, they flow out of the Holy Spirit, which is God's work within us that comes out of our relationship with the Lord. And then secondly, any of the how-tos that Scripture talks about in our marriage relationship is going to be modeled by uh, the ideals that come out of Jesus' relationship with us as his church. And then thirdly, our relationship with the Lord is actually the point. It's the reason for our relationship with our husband and wife. And that marriage, unlike any other relationship in our life, confronts within us Um, our selfishness and and other sins because the nature of having to become one with someone and live that out. And so unlike any other human relationship, it challenges us, if we understand it rightly, to pursue Christ-likeness, that it can encourage us to pursue Christ and devotion to him even more. And so with that, the most practical thing you can do, number one thing in your relationship with your spouse is to actually focus on your relationship with the Lord. And in the promise to get practical, um, recognizing that's through prayer, our relationship with the Lord is through prayer and through reading of his word. Uh, one very practical point you could uh, implore today, tomorrow, and every day this week and moving forward is uh, I would encourage you to, I would challenge you to try praying the Lord's prayer every day as it relates to your marriage. Now some of you are like, man, we pray that every week and I feel like that's kind of a bit much. Um, But I would encourage you to think about the Lord's Prayer as kind of um, a grid to which you can pray into your marriage. As you'll see, uh, some of these points apply. Again, Jesus told us this is how to pray, so it's not gonna go wrong with it. But um, specifically, Jesus said for us to pray, give us today, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, God provide what we need in our marriage relationship today. Give us what we need today because as Jesus says later, hey, tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own, which can sometimes be the case. Um, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is a prayer, that is a commitment to a rhythm of forgiveness, uh, not just in uh, the big things, but more like the daily small things too, that uh, rather than uh, keep an account of wrongs each day, we wanna have a a rhythm and an erosion of forgiveness in our marriages. Um, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Duh, okay? Uh, 
And then lastly, um, so we can live this out, to live out God's kingdom here on earth, again, as we already said, by his power and all for his glory. And so again, this is a very practical, this is a very doable way to put God first in your marriage. Uh, And then out of the flow of that, your relationship with your spouse comes out of your relationship with God. And so uh, we're gonna look at the practicalities of that in Ephesians chapter five, uh, which again is a passage primarily about the model relationship we have in Jesus with us as his church and then how our relationship with our spouses can reflect that. So Ephesians chapter five, we're gonna start in verse 22. Excuse me. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. All right. That is the verse that ladies, we all love to hate, isn't it? Um, uh, that before we jump in, I actually did hear some feedback from some ladies last week. Uh, some had said, hey, that was really helpful when we talked about this. I feel like I understand a little bit better. But some had said, hey, but what about when? And so there were some yeah buts that we didn't cover that um, I assure you today we're going to do our best to cover. And that, frankly, there's plenty of yeah buts, both for the guys and the girls that we're going to cover. So if I could just uh, promise you that those are on deck we're gonna uh, bat up some other things right now, but if we can just put those on the shelves, I assure you we'll get to some of the yeah buts here in a little bit, but just kind of hang with me and be patient on that, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get to those. So, all right, now moving on to the husbands. Husbands, verse 25. Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay, and this is speaking to how um, kind of the unity, you become one. So if you love your wife, you love yourself because you are technically one. Um, As it says in verse 29, after all, No one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there's that one flesh again. And again, this is uh, pointing that um, back to the creation story in Genesis, that marriage is not some man-made idea that we get to kind of tinker with uh, in our culture, but that God, from the beginning, designed marriage to be this way, okay? Uniting a man to his wife, becoming one flesh. Verse 32, and this all is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, so again, very important to reiterate, this whole passage is about um, the relationship, the model relationship that Jesus has with us as his church, and then based on that, how our marriages should then reflect that. Now, one of the first challenges we're gonna face in this passage is just that one little simple word, love. Uh, Because love, uh, as we know, means a billion different things in our language. I mean, men uh, love their children, uh, but they also love 
the Chicago Bears. And, um, you know, obviously not talking about the same thing. I mean, guys, you don't love 50-cent wing night at B-dubs like you love your wives. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, but all we've got is this one generic English word, love. And so Ephesians 5 is going to start off uh, explaining what this word love means, what it means to love our spouse in different contexts, man to wife and wife uh, to man. And so um, as we get into this, I've, one of the feedback things is sometimes people say, you know, we're just not wired traditionally in that way. Like some of you guys might say, you know, I'm kind of more the emotional one in the relationship. And some of you girls might, you know, be like, you know, I'm not really the emotional one. I'm like cold as ice, you know, Terminator has nothing on me. So maybe that's your personality and that's how uh, you're wired. But recognize that what the scriptures are getting to are much deeper than just personality differences. This is creation stuff that God has laid out and wired in each of us, men and women alike, as we're going to see. So, ladies, to define this word love, what it means to love your husband, actually is, means to, um, to respect him. If you want to love your husband, that means you are going uh, to show that through respect. Now, the reason this is, is because nothing, nothing is more important to a man's heart and soul than respect. In fact, I'd say when your husband does get uh, worked up, mad, angry, and wants to shut down, nine times out of ten, it's because he feels disrespect. And while it is his obligation to, to love you well, as we're going to see, regardless of how well you show him respect or not, that's still his obligation to love you well, it makes it incredibly challenging for him to want to love you well through disrespect. And so, um, it's, it's really, it's why the scriptures warn young men about the type of woman that they choose to marry. Proverbs 21.9 uh, says, better to live on the corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 21.19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Okay, it's in the Bible. Just, <laughs> just reading the Bible. Can't get in trouble for that. And so to a setting where, where wives, you constantly want to fight, you want to you argue, you want to nag, God says, sorry, dude, might as well go to the Sahara and die. <laughs> Better off. And it's like, man, that's pretty brash, even coming from the Bible. And so here's why. Here's why this is so um, forward, we could say. The reason is there is nothing, nothing more damaging to a man's ability to lead his family well than a wife who stirs up conflict, uh, who constantly and consistently emasculates him, who berates him, who tries to dominate him. Bottom line, God's word says to love your husband by respecting him, by choosing, even if you don't feel like it, to respect him, which plays out, it's first actualized by uh, committing to not disrespect him, to not disrespect him, which is, um, meaning you're not gonna embarrass him, you're not gonna belittle him in front of others, you're not gonna jab him uh, with little sarcastic and snide comments and words. And uh, to this, you might already get one of those yeah buts. Like, yeah, but what? And, you know, he, he's not, but he's not earning my respect. Or you might say, you know, he's not even interested in leading our household uh, spiritually. He's one of the spiritual leader of our household. How am I supposed to show respect for that? Okay. All right. Well, the Bible reveals there is a way 
to help him lead. There's a way to help him lead and there's a way not to. And it's not by nagging him about it. It's not by wearing him down about it. You see, even um, in his shortcomings, that if you as a wife, are you gonna, if you're gonna operate out of kind of the position of being um, you know, the expert in how much your husband stinks, then you set him up for failure. You, 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 even if you get him to do what you want him to do, he's not gonna do it out of a healthy space. He's gonna feel like he can't win. And so um, you may have won that battle, but in the end, it's not gonna serve you well. It's not gonna serve your family well because you're gonna be losing the war. However, where disrespect undercuts a husband's ability uh, to lead, on the inverse, encouragement. Encouragement out of the mouth of a woman is unbelievably powerful in the heart of a man. And so recognize and encourage the areas where he does do well. And then push him in that or, um, you know, breathe life into and through those areas. Uh, now, I'll go ahead and throw some kudos to my wife here because I accidentally threw her under the bus um, last week on some things. And so, <laughs> when it comes to this respect stuff, I'll tell you, she'll be the first to admit this is not something that comes easy to her. The learning curve is steep. Uh, in fact, the love and respect material is very helpful for her and for me uh, in, in our marriage. And so, she's an oldest child. She's a strong woman, plenty of spunk to keep me on my toes, which I like most days. So, a um, <laughs> couple of weeks ago, uh, in our life, we just had one of those perfect storms of a week where I had an evening commitment like every night of the week. And then one of those mornings, I was rushing out to something I had to be at. And at the same time, she had a sick kid. She had to go to the doctor and drag the other kid with her. And so she was on her own. It's kind of like, um, which is, again, nothing unique to me. I know everyone faces those tough weeks and, and, the, and those kind of perfect storms of scheduling. Uh, but what added a little salt to that wound was uh, I had literally just led uh, the staff through this deal about putting family first and families are number one ministry, and Jessica and I had just been talking about it, and now I'm heading out the door. To which she could have fairly said, family, number one ministry, huh? Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe like a little like head slide, snap of the finger, I don't, I don't know how that stuff works, but she, she did not do that. But what she did do um, is as I'm driving in, she calls me up, and she says, hey, I just want to say... I appreciate how much you do for our family. I know you'd be home tonight if you could, um, so thank you for all that you do to provide for us by having to go to work. Now, which one of those scenarios do you think was the more effective option, even to her own end, of getting me and to help me, in the end, step up at home? Kind of a no-brainer. Or say uh, to the example of you wanting your husband to, to maybe step out and lead a little more, spiritually speaking, to be the spiritual leader of your household. Again, two ways to do this. Well, I guess you just don't uh, care about the uh, spiritual well-being of our kids. Guess I'll just have to do it myself. Or, or, hey, hubby, thank you for the way in which uh, you work so hard to provide for our family. I know you had a long day at work. Hey, I tell you what, um, I'm gonna go get the kids bathed, get the jammies on, the whole deal. And then after that, you know those um, little devotional handout things we get with the kids' ministries each week uh, coming out that go with the week's lesson? Would you, would you be up for just maybe reading that little devotional to the kids right before bed? This 
is a wise woman who speaks uh, faithful instruction from her tongue, Proverbs 31, 26. This is a wife of noble character worth far more than rubies and this wife's husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Proverbs, or of his life. Or no, her life, yeah, both lives. Proverbs 31, 10 through 12. All right. Okay, fellas, our turn. Ephesians 5.25 again. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. He died for her. Jesus died for us. And why did Jesus do this? To forgive us. To forgive us that Jesus is the initiator in our relationship with him. He is the initiator of forgiveness and reconciliation that through the removal of sin, through the removal of wrongdoing, we are brought back into a healthy and right relationship with him. And so if that's our model as guys, what are the implications then for husbands? You are to love and to serve your wives. You might be like, whoa, time out. I thought she was supposed to you know, submit to me. Okay, well, she is supposed to submit to your servant leadership. Or as Jesus said of himself, whom we're aiming to model, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life up as a ransom for many, Mark 10, 45. So, time in. You are to love and to serve your wife as Christ loved the church. And the way you do that, based on Jesus' model of sacrifice, um, is that uh, when something goes wrong in your marriage, when there's a rift, when there's an issue, based on this, it is your responsibility to be the initiator of forgiveness and reconciliation. You are to initiate forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, Even if you'd say you're only 1% to blame and say she's 99%, you feel. Um, Now, personally, I wouldn't apologize like that. Um, I leave percentages out of it. Uh, You know, baby, I just want to say, I think 1%, uh, that's on me. And uh, so I'm sorry. Anything you want to say to me? I just never seen a guy come back from that like, man, I did the percentage deal like a champ, you know? Instead, instead, you know, honey, I didn't handle that the right way. Um, you know, I, I really shouldn't have said that. Uh, you know, forgive me, I should not have lashed out. Uh, would you forgive me? Period, period. And, uh, and the reason, I mean, you veteran guys who've been married for many years, you know this and you tell us us young guys. I mean, in fact, I don't think I've ever been to a wedding or a reception where I haven't seen uh, an older married veteran whisper into the ear of the new you know, bride or groom-to-be these four words. He said, hey, let me tell you four words that'll get you through your marriage. My fault, I'm sorry, <laughs> right? And we've all heard this. And why, and why is this such timeless advice in all circumstances? Well, because you are, um, you're taking, you're defusing, you could say, the situation. You are taking dynamite away from a potentially escalating flame. And guys, you might say, yeah, yeah, but, but you don't understand. She, 
And that's fine, we'll get to the yeah buts. But even with a yeah but, remember, how did Christ, who is our example, love the church? Sacrifice. It takes sacrifice. And so it might mean taking a big bite out of humble pie where, again, Jesus led the way. He went first in reconciliation and sacrifice. Even when, catch this, Romans 5, 8 says, when we didn't deserve it. In our sin, we didn't deserve Jesus' sacrifice. And so what does that imply for then for us as husbands? Even when your wife, even when you feel like she doesn't deserve it, I would say, arguably, even when you're absolutely sure she doesn't deserve it. Based on the model of Christ, you initiate forgiveness. You initiate reconciliation. That even if she doesn't deserve it, even if she doesn't receive it, do it anyway. Do it anyway. All right. So men, we are to initiate reconciliation. All right, moving on. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26. Two, make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Okay, this speaks to you leading your wife spiritually, uh, washing over her, uh, washing over your wife, washing over your family with the word, meaning God's word, that that is your role, that is your responsibility to point and lead your family in their devotion and your devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, how that plays out, I wouldn't say there's a one-size-fits-all. Sometimes I get a little eh when I read or hear certain things where it's like, if you're gonna lead your home spiritually, this is the way you've gotta do it. For example, um, and I know lots of guys that do this and this works well, uh, and and so kudos to you. I think it's a great thing um, that if like, say, before bed, like every night, Um, I know some guys who do devotions with their spouse and they pray before bed. And again, I think that's great. I think you should do that. But I just wanna be honest with you. Um, Jessica and I don't do that. Uh, And frankly, I'm not sure that would go real well for us. Uh, I just don't know, getting in bed, be like, all right, uh, honey, if you just want to, uh, we're gonna be in the book of Psalms tonight. Uh, If you wanna open your Bible. And uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, um, (laughs) should be one in the uh, nightstand there beside you. And all right, we've got a lot to cover. I'll try not to go long, but you know me, so. <laughs> That's just not gonna be happening at the Talty House. So uh, again, does that mean Jessica doesn't want me to lead spiritually? No, she does, but, um, and see, that's a part of the beauty of this is my wife's not your wife, your wife's not my wife. And so part of this is learning the wife that God gave you. That's why I get nervous about the one size fits all. And so if you wanna know how to best lead her and your family spiritually, uh, ask her. Just be upfront. Again, it might be a little bit of a humble pie question, but we've already talked about Jesus leading the way in humility. So just say, hey, all right, I get it. All the spiritual leading stuff, I wanna be better about that. How can I best help do that for our family? And so ask her. Uh, because it is your responsibility to be the spiritual leader in your household. All right. Now for the big butts. Don't take that out of context. All right, the yeah buts. First, You might say, husband about wife or wife about husband, you know, frankly, I've done all this and it's just not working. To which I would respond, what do you mean it's not working? Uh, Well, you know, know, he's not loving me even though I've been working really hard on this whole respect thing. Or guys might say, well, she's not respecting me even though I've been working really hard on this love thing. Listen very carefully. You don't 
love husbands and wives you don't respect in order to bank on a response. That while that would be helpful, that investment does not always return back to us guaranteed. And while you're right, if it is a one-sided deal in your marriage, you're right, I would agree. That's not fair. But might I remind you, wives, we respect our husbands out of respect. Why? Out of respect for flowing out of submission and respect to our relationship with Jesus Christ, which, might I remind you, is not fair, which we didn't deserve. And then husbands, I'm gonna identify with the husbands more and saying the we language with the wives. Um, husband, we love because Christ loves us, which again, isn't fair because Christ loved us, even in spite of our sin, even in spite of our continued lack of ability and commitment to live up to what Christ would ask in return. And so husbands, love regardless of the response, love regardless of the lack of response, love even in lack of respect, love anyway, because that's the model that Jesus gives us and wives respect regardless of his response, regardless of his lack of response, regardless of his lack of love, respect anyway. Now, not saying that's gonna be easy and it's definitely not ideal. It definitely works better when there's a positive energizing cycle of love and respect going both ways. But even if it returns back to you void, uh, the best way I've heard it said is you be Jesus. You be Jesus and let God be God. In other words, you be Jesus. You be uh, the best tangible touch of Jesus Christ in your spouse's life that you can be through not your own strength, as we've said, but the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. You be the best, better half you can be. And then let God be God. Let God work in your spouse's life. Let God work in your life to show you, even if it returns back void, his sustenance, his providence, that um, as we sing here all the time, that all of him will be more than enough for all of me. And so love anyway, respect anyway, regardless of response. Okay, the second yeah but um, for maybe uh, the guys might be like, Talta, you don't understand. My wife, she is not the same person I married 20 years ago. She's not the same person I married two years ago. She's crazy. <laughs> she's, she's completely changed. And um, of course she has. Changed. I'm not going to call your wife crazy. That's not going to do that. But she's changed because we all change. We all change. We're, none of us are the same person that we were 5, 10, especially 20 years ago. And when it comes to this reality, one of the most insightful um, understandings that has never left me uh, that I received from uh, a professor back at Milligan College, uh, my alma mater, uh, Professor Phil Kennison, he said this, and I'll paraphrase. He says this, when you get married, you need to know that no matter how well you think you know or actually do know, that person on that day of marriage, on the other side of that veil, no matter how well you know that person on the other side of that tuxedo, right then and there, you are, 100% of the time, you are marrying a complete stranger. You're marrying a complete stranger because in 20 years, that person is not gonna be the same person. They are gonna be a very different person. You are gonna be a very different person than you were on that day. And as we say in our vows, we hope that's for better, but it might be for worse. Which again, speaks to the death do us part commitment that is in our vows, that marriage is. That it's not a, 
uh, until your personality shifts into such a point that I can't take it anymore. It is till death do you part. And so, of course, you're going to change. And then wives, you might say, yeah, but, and this is the one that kind of came out of last week, you don't understand. My husband has zero interest in leading our home spiritually. In fact, he's not interested in church or God or anything in between. Well, 1 Peter 3 actually speaks to this exact yeah, but. Peter says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, so even if your husband uh, is not living out his role to be the spiritual leader of your household, even if, he, again, he is uh, totally checked out and not interested in the stuff of God, it says, wives, nevertheless, submit yourselves to your husbands so that even if they don't believe, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. And so the irony here to that yeah but, that even where um, your husband has no interest of God, this is actually the greater ministry opportunity that even if he does fall under God's stuff, it says here that you have even a greater opportunity in the face of his disbelief or that he's completely punted on spiritual leading through your respect. And so you can actually minister to your husband greatly, even if he doesn't follow this stuff, by your respect. And then one last, yeah, but. Uh, recognizing that in the, the complexities and, and some of the messed up situations, some I know about, a lot of them I know I don't, uh, that um, we never want to commit before you, as we've said, ministerial malpractice, where some preacher gets up and in a soundbite uh, totally um, undervalues or plays the reality of what's going on in your setting. And so with that, we would say that if there is abuse, there's legitimate abuse in your relationship, well then, in that case, that is a yeah, but. That is a, an absence and an abandonment of the commitment that marriage is to be. And so if that's your road, don't go that road alone. Um, call the church, uh, we'll get you help. Um, and so that's an important yeah, but that, that we do need to acknowledge. Okay. So moving on from the abbots, uh, I want to leave you with a couple other just practical things for your marriage that um, in, in an effort to put a good defense on keeping our marriages healthy, uh, sometimes the best defense, as you guys have been watching some uh, college ball, is a really good offense, okay? Sometimes the best defense is a really strong offense. And so with that, husbands, the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs in the Old Testament is a whole book about how husbands, uh, you need to romance your wives, and then wives, Titus 2.4 says, wives to grow in and learn how to love your husbands. And again, we've already said that word love in the English language, totally generic, means a million things. But in the original Greek here, that word love actually means uh, what's called brotherly love. Or in other words, it means y'all should be friends. You should be friends with your spouse. You all uh, should still date. In that dating isn't something we do and then push a period and then move on to this marriage thing. No, you should date your spouse. That you should have fun together. You should laugh together. You should find stuff you all like to do together. Now, wives, I'm not saying that means you have to go to the tractor pool, okay? Um, but you knew what you were getting into when he uh, proposed in those bib overalls <laughs> at the Skinnerd concert, you know? 
That's on you, so. Because what happens is where, where laughter, where joy, where friendship grow cold in a marriage, well, then you are destined for future trouble. And so, husbands, with that, you also romance your wives. Um, and you might just say, man, my wife, we've talked. I'm just not wired that way, and I get that. But God gave you Google. Romantic dates. Pow. 116 million hits in less than 0.35 seconds. Or so I'm told. So You might say, well, man, but what if she finds out I got offline? She wants me to be naturally this way. It's like, well, to a degree, that's on her. Because if you put that effort forward and you put together some big romantic deal and she's like, where'd you get this? Did you get this offline? <laughs> well, you know. It's the Heritage time, bro. It's uh, where is the roof, that corner of the roof? How do I find that? So, <laughs> and I'll admit, I'm preaching to me here too here. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an area that we, we all have to work on, fellas, um, in tenure of marriage. And so give it thought, give it some energy, and romance your wife. And then lastly, for men and women, again, recognizing... Um, that again, while we're gonna talk about defense here, this is also takes place in a strong offense that we wanna just not avoid impurities and things that can get in our marriage, but the way we do that is by pursuing, offensively, pursuing purity. Ephesians 5.3, uh, in a verse right before Paul, we've been looking at Ephesians 5, right before Paul gets into all this talk about husbands and wives and marriage, Paul says, among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity because these are improper for God's holy people. And so we see the warnings in scripture obviously against physical adultery. Uh, but Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to warn against um, that even if we look at a woman lustfully, you're already committing adultery with her in your heart. And so guys, uh, and I will add ladies to this as well. Statistics reveal that this is an increased uh, issue for both men and women, that if uh, pornography is an issue, uh, and I'll add to that, again, this is probably more lady category, but not necessarily. Uh, romance novels, it's kind of a literature pornography where you're letting that stuff into your life, into your marriage. Jesus says, uh, in some pretty extreme language in the Sermon on the Mount, actually, you do whatever it takes to get that out of your life, to get that out of your marriage. And so we would say, if it would go so far as that, you need some help with that. Again, don't go it alone. Call the church and we'll get you directed toward some help. Okay, so we know that there's physical purity, but, uh, and I warn men and women alike on this too, there's also emotional purity. Emotional purity. And sometimes, again, I think sometimes women get pegged in this category, but it takes two to tango. So, um, and some of you are gonna disagree with me on this, and I'm okay with that, but this is my conviction. If you are married, it is unwise for you to have a close one-on-one -on -one friendship with a member of the opposite sex. And I'll go further than that to say that, because, well, because, and I'll tell you, honestly, quote, 
we are just friends, end quote, has been the line more than any other that I've encountered in the now broken marriages that has been the beginning of the end. It's dangerous stuff. And again, I'll add to that, I've, I've made the commitment, and again, some of you are like, seriously? Um, to never be alone or even ride in a car alone with a member of the opposite sex. Um, which, you know, and some people say, well, my work just doesn't allow that. I don't know. And that, well, let me put it this way. Why wouldn't you have that boundary? Give me a good reason why you wouldn't have that boundary in your life and marriage. I mean, I know for Jessica and I, that driving thing, that's probably caused less than a handful of inconveniences where we had to work something else out. But why would you compromise or even risk compromising your integrity or the integrity of your marriage over something like that? Because what we want to avoid, even an accusation of it, we want to avoid even a hint. That's not a lot. Even a hint of immorality and impurity. And so in order to do that, you can't just run from impurity, but we gotta actively pursue offensively purity. Or as uh, the Apostle Paul says in his closing remarks to uh, the church at Philippi, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, purity, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Pursue these things. Or as we said last week, put off the old self and put on the new self in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holiness. And so given all that, given all this, the application for you today is uh, similar and yet at the same time different actually than that of last week. Uh, It's different in that last week we looked very specifically in saying, how can you focus on your relationship with the Lord for the sake of your marriage relationship? And then specifically today, differently, we're gonna look at how each husband and wife can now make specific choices and make uh, specific commitments to show love or respect uh, in their marriage, in your marriage. And so it's different in that, but it's similar. It's similar in that just like last week, you focus on what you can do. You be responsible for you in your marriage and not for what your spouse is not doing. Or as we've already said here a little bit ago, you be Jesus and let God be God. Or or to say it another way, you be Jesus and don't try to be God. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit in your spouse's life. I've learned the hard way. When you try to be the Holy Spirit in your spouse's life, uh, things go bad. And so, for example, for you to take copious notes on today's message, only to then get in the car and say, Hmm. Well, if I were to give you a grade on today's sermon, <laughs> D minus, I'd say I'm being generous. <laughs> no, you focus on you. You be responsible for you. You be Jesus and let God be God. And you let the power of the Holy Spirit do his work. You trust God to be God. Okay, so you focus on you and what you can do. And so, uh, as we finally land this plane, uh, I want to take you back one last place to middle school, okay? I know it's painful. Uh, We're going to go back to middle school. And do you remember back in middle school uh, when, like, two boys were about to get into a fight? 
and uh, they uh, would start to argue and it would escalate and a crowd would start to gather and everyone would start chanting, fight, fight, fight. And so, you know, these two guys would get worked up even more and so they're talking even more trash and they're, they're shouting at the top of their lungs, what you gonna do, what you gonna do? And they're bumping chests and, you know, going round and round and round for maybe three or four or five minutes, making all kinds of noise, all kinds of posturing, but doing nothing. Until that one moment, uh, and Nate, I know you know all about this uh, in school administration, until that moment when either a teacher or an administrator steps in, and then, and then they start swinging their arms like, oh, you better hold me back, you better hold me back, as if they really wanted to fight the whole time. Here's the point. For years, Some of you in your marriages have been going round and round with certain issues that have been ignored, that have been misunderstood, that have not been addressed. Don't wait. Don't go around and around in circles for months or even years acting like you're about to fight for your marriage as he's walking out the door, she's walking out the door. And then start swinging your arms like, oh, no, 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 I wanna fight for our marriage now. The time to fight is now. The time to fight for your marriage is right now. And so you fight. You focus on you. You fight for what you can fight for. You do what you can do. You be Jesus where you can be Jesus. Then you let God be God for the sake of your marriage. And so to that end, let me pray for us all in that. Uh, Father God, This is tough stuff, the toughest of stuff. Uh, And so even though we've laughed a little, we recognize that within all that, uh, there's some pretty heavy, heavy things going on. And so that's why we pray to stand on what we said last week at the beginning of today, that it is only by your strength and your power and your Holy Spirit at work in us and through us that any of this even stands a chance. And so God, we pray we pray not as a formality to end the message, but as a, as a plea to help us in our marriages uh, to learn in your ideal relationship with us how we can love and we can respect and we can have a healthy marriage that reflects your relationship with us. And so even though we're gonna say amen here in about six seconds, our prayer does not end. We wanna keep on trusting you all the moments of all our days as you go to fight for us in our marriage by the power in all of our life's relationships, regardless of marriage, by the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. And uh, again, digging up this stuff uh, in current marriages, and I recognize today in lots of cases, in um, situations where you're single, either maybe for a reason or for a season, that there's a temptation for you to walk out of here feeling guilty about your past. Please hear me. This is a different sermon, but it's the same sermon. Guilt is not of God. Guilt is not of God. That is of the evil one. He wants you to shut down. He wants you to retreat. Guilt wants you to run away from God. That is not of God. Conviction, however, is of God. Conviction says, okay, there's healing, there's grace, there's mercy and conviction. When we feel uh, lousy about something in our past or something in our current, we run to God. Hebrews 4, you can approach God's throne of grace with confidence that you will receive mercy and you will receive grace to actually help you in your time of need. And so um, don't run from God in your current situation or in reflection of your past situations. You run to God and 
and recognize that as far as the east is from the west, the far as the bottom of the ocean is, God forgives and he heals and he wants to restore. And so um, there's gonna be some leaders here at the front of the church uh, who'd love to pray with you about any of those things or any other issue in your life. Uh, but as we pray, we're also gonna sing uh, a great old hymn of the church that really represents what this is all about. More than a husband, more than a spouse, more than a wife, more than a relationship. This is about our relationship with God and our surrender to him above all things. And so we're gonna sing uh, out of our ultimate submission. As we submit one to another, we submit ultimately to Christ and surrender all to him. So let's sing and we also invite you to pray as well.